0: Welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. All right, so today I'm really excited because I have another great guest for you. Her name is Dr. Anna Gibson, and she's doing some really interesting work using evidence and theory-informed principles of human behavior to design interventions that drive individual, team, and organizational effectiveness. And you guys know, on this show, we love evidence-based applications of principles of human behavior. Dr. Gibson specializes in partnering with leaders and organizations to become happier and healthy places to work. As a licensed psychologist and organization development consultant, Ana is passionate about creating high-impact solutions to organizational problems, promoting organizational conditions that support employee well-being and DEI, and building ongoing client partnerships. She provided services across many sectors and industries state and federal government, tech, healthcare, entertainment, and many, many more. Anna is also one of my friends and former colleagues from the Department of Veterans Affairs, National Center for Organizational Development. Anna, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Ernest. It's good to see you.
0: It's really great to see you, Anna, and I really appreciate you coming on the show. You know, I, I love what you're doing and I really want to dive into that. But as always, I also want to talk about your story because you have such an interesting story. So tell us a little bit about how you ended up as a psychologist doing consulting work.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was very young, when I was about eight, I got very involved in theater and that was, you know, I was one of those people that thought I was going to be doing that forever and then realized at some point along the way that I was probably going to need a day job. <laughs> So at that time I joined an audiobook recording studio, which was a really cool first experience out in the workforce. Wow. Um, it was, you know, a small place and it was managed by folks who really weren't engaged very much in the employee day-to-day mm-hmm. experience. And as I was working at that studio, what I was realizing was when the leaders were in the building, they were having a significant impact on the morale of the people who worked in the office. Mm -hmm. And if they weren't there, it really felt like an entirely different culture to be a part of. Mm -hmm. So just as I was going through my day-to-day work, I started to get more and more interested in what organizational factors influence how how people enjoy being in their jobs. And I, you know, I'd gotten a degree in college in psychobiology. So I already kind of had that interest, but it was really that day job that was kind of a springboard into leadership development and organizational work. And as I was deciding kind of how to move my career forward, what I, what I landed on was a clinical degree because I You know, I got great mentorship at the time. And what I was hearing was, you know, go get the skills Mm -hmm. that will allow you to work really effectively with any person, you know, any person who you come in contact with. So my grad training was really focused on, you know, individual adult clinical therapy, which I was then sort of leveraging into leadership development. Ultimately, Mm -hmm. that was my plan. So I was sort of grab bagging a bunch of different experiences at the time, but ultimately got my degree in clinical work and then transitioned, as you know, into full-time organization development work from there because it was just, you know, I knew I was, I was interested in this focus primarily, but I took a sort of circuitous and strange route to get there.
0: Yeah. I I love that story. You know, I I love audiobooks, and so it's, it's kind of interesting to hear that there's there's a whole business behind that, right? And there's a whole culture behind that. And so I think it's really interesting yeah. to hear how how you went from that, uh, realizing the experience that you were having as an employee was highly impacted by the, the leadership of the organization, and then thinking to yourself, how can I how can I have an impact on this? How can I uh, play a part in this? So I think that's so cool. I, I love what you do now in terms of using evidence based principles of human behavior. Tell us why is that important to you to use that that evidence based.
1: Yeah. Well, my, my clinical training was very focused on theory informed work. Mm -hmm. So Very first year, you know, we spent quite a lot of time learning about different theoretical orientations just when it comes to clinical work. So, you know, everything ranging from psychoanalysis to newer forms of psychodynamic therapy to cognitive behavioral therapy to acceptance and commitment therapy kind of ran ran the gamut of, you know, how do you think about a person's psychology Mm -hmm. and the factors that inform how they show up in the world? there's quite a bit of variance in evidence when it comes to the efficacy of various types of theoretical models yep. yeah. and so there has really been i've i've been very interested in evidence based you know treatments for a long time but then also you know there's not when we look at you know double blind research studies We don't necessarily see the same kinds of efficacy in the longer-term therapies as we do in the shorter-term therapies. Mm -hmm. But what we know is that that's not because they're not effective or um, that their efficacy isn't really strong. It's that it's a harder theoretical model to study at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. That kind of longer-term treatment is just hard to look at. And what we're seeing over time is that there really is good evidence to inform those treatment models. All of that to say that tends, to, psychodynamic work tends to be more of my approach, yeah. and what's become really important to me over time is incorporating other evidence-based practices that are really um, what's the word that I'm looking for, kind of collaborative or complementary mm-hmm. to psychodynamic work. That ultimately, I believe that you know humans, human the the first environments that we exist in. In our early life and our lived experiences as we move through the world really inform how we show up in our day-to-day work mm-hmm. so we can use evidence for evidence-informed practices to apply to our day-to-day lives but we it's also really important to get to that underlying you know core stuff yeah. that's influencing how you're showing yeah. up so that's really what drove my interest in it, and now I use evidence informed practices in the workspace. Yeah, uh, kind of as
0: well. I, I really love what you're what you're saying there, because for a number of reasons, I think one of them is that because I'm a data driven person, and, and and I believe okay. strongly that there is so much richness in the research that's done in behavioral sciences. You know that that I think there's okay. so much evidence there, and there's so much data there that can be used as information to help. Uh, people as they're they're trying to improve the efficiency and the effectiveness of their their work environments and, the, and their experiences so i really appreciate that you are using that and then integrating different approaches because again there are so many different approaches that you know you, you're likely to find one that that speaks to you and works right and so I, I love that you're integrating that into that the work that you're doing tell us about the work that you do now what what kind of work do you do and how do you apply this
1: yeah i do uh, quite a variety of work right now i consider myself you know in the field i consider myself still somewhat of a generalist mm-hmm. and still sort of finding my way and really what i feel the most excited about to really keep digging into and become a specialist in so i do a broad range of um, i offer a broad range of services mm-hmm. right now everything including like executive coaching working with one-on-one leaders and helping them you know identify how they wanna be leading, kind of finding their own leadership voice, but then also addressing kind of core areas of need. Um, I'm working with a few folks right now, for example, who have ADHD and are just struggling to manage their time. Mm-hmm. So I'm not treating ADHD as I would be in a clinical setting, but I'm helping them figure out, you know, how do you navigate the symptoms that you experience in a way that you make, can make you more effective in the workplace? Um, and then, you know, so executive coaching, I do a lot of leadership development. I work with teams fairly frequently helping teams work more effectively with one another. Mm -hmm. So that it things like conflict mediation as well, helping people work through, you know, when you run into something sticky with an employee or with, you know, a colleague and you just can't quite work through whatever that challenge is. Sometimes I'll come in to support folks with that. And then the work that I get really excited about is broader organizational systems and culture work. So Mm -hmm. looking at what is going on in this organization, like if you've got folks who are, if you've got a high attrition rate, for example, in your organization, or you're having difficulty with employee retention or burnout is really high. What I really get excited about is looking at kind of what is driving that. What is driving those factors and then what interventions might be able to help support moving that system Uh in a different direction? How do you kind of address that? And so that broader systems work really is kind of the meat of what I do.
0: So I know you do some work with with um, startups. Right. And so I'm really interested in the culture of startups because that can be a very high paced, high impact, very stressful um, culture. What examples do you have of the work that you've seen or or the culture that you've seen in in those environments? And how do you address those to help them get past some of those, that stress and anxiety?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the majority of my experience with startups um, is in the digital health field Mm -hmm. and a little bit within digital therapeutics, a little bit within digital medicine, but primarily, you know, well-being tools, wellness tools. Uh, and and digital therapeutics sort of incorporated and helping people kind of identify um, whether they need clinical support or whether they just kind of need some tools to help them navigate their worlds more effectively. So that being said, uh, my startup experience has really, what I have seen in startups is that fast paced growth Mm -hmm. and organizationally what often happens. And, you know, from, we can talk about this from a clinical perspective Mm -hmm. is that the people who start a startup may not necessarily have the skill sets to help bring an organization into their next phases of growth or development so there's this really interesting tipping point where you know in an organizational lifestyle, life cycle a startup will need to transition into sort of different organizational approaches Mm -hmm. to be able to maintain or even find profitability in the first place. So I get really excited about what happens in that early phase that can influence whether a startup can, can be sustainable in the long run or not. And are those people who you initially hire in do they have the skill sets to really lead an organization into their next
0: phases? Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of, of a startup that you've worked with and how you've you've helped them figure that out that transition?
1: Yeah, sure. So i um, I was I worked with Modern Health, which is um, an employee point, uh, an, basically an employee assistance program, but they consider themselves an employee point solution. Mm-hmm uh so they offer coaching services they offer therapy services and it's primarily driven by um it's their services are offered within an app so it helps folks get connected to their um their interest level and their area of need services that will help them kind of address that so when i arrived i was brought in to help design strategy around organizational well-being mm-hmm. and Where the company was at that particular point, they had been, I think they had been, um, they had been started in, I would say, probably 2019. So, shortly before COVID hit. And what happened within COVID was that there was this huge amount of venture capital funding into the digital mental health space. And so, what modern health was experiencing was this influx of funds that they were like, well, we we were able to do all of these amazing things with the additional funding that we have." And so what they did was expand rapidly in terms of their employee population. And what they found as a result was that kind of getting getting strategically prioritized became mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a harder and harder challenge because you've got people with a ton of different skill sets. And a ton of different ideas mm-hmm. about where the direction. And so I spent a lot of time talking with leaders there about, you know, how do you get more aligned as an organization, and how do we upskill our managers to be able to navigate, you know, navigate that kind of rapid growth mm-hmm. and you know, bring in new teams that are suddenly filled with you know, a bunch of new people and how do you, how do you kind of think about leading in that kind of an environment? So that was, that was some of the work that I did there, which was really interesting.
0: That's really interesting because when you have an organization, a startup that goes through rapid growth like that, there's, there's so many pitfalls that you have to be uh, careful of, right? Especially as you mentioned, upskilling the managers to being able to manage a few people to a lot of people that, that management is hard enough. And then managing a lot of people, who are all excited and want to go their own way can be very challenging. So I, I can imagine that the, the very stressful environment to be in.
1: Absolutely, and you know a lot of a lot of folks who may be first time managers mm-hmm. at that got people transitioning right out of college and excited about tech and they're excited about mental health and they're excited about dei work and so you get people with a lot of enthusiasm to grow something and grow something super quickly but they may just not have had exposure to industry yeah. in the long term to really kind of know what does it look like to do this work but also then incorporate all of the people leadership components that go along with that
0: yeah that's a really interesting topic we've, we've had this come up a lot uh, how, you know, you have l- new leaders, especially who who really don't have any leadership training or, or experience. And so it's, it's very hard for them to figure out what is my role as a leader? What is my role as someone who is responsible for a group of people when they don't even really understand that they've got to lead them and manage themselves, you know, lead and manage the, the team and the group of people and also be part of a leader for the organization as a whole. So I, I can imagine that being very challenging. In that sort of environment
1: absolutely absolutely
0: so so i'm wondering so you also mentioned that you do coaching what what kind mm-hmm. of coaching do you do in that in that environment for something like this
1: yeah so primarily i focus my work on executive coaching and it's usually for mid-level managers or above mm-hmm. sometimes i'll coach in you know senior positions or the c-suite and a lot of that focus is really about finding leadership identity mm-hmm. but also to effectively manage the particular people that they have reporting into them. I mean, we know that everybody has entirely different lived experiences. They're different people. We know a little bit about, you know, sort of consistent ways that people tend to show up in the work environment or in the world. But what I really like to do is help leaders develop more flexibility in how they're working with their teams day to day. You know, if I'm a very direct and, um, direct and, uh, you know, not conflict avoidant leader, Mm -hmm. that style is going to land very differently on an employee who tends to be more conflict avoidant or uh, tends to, you know, prioritize harmony over really direct communication, Mm -hmm. for example. So I'll work with those folks in, you know, this is just one example, those kinds of folks I'll help, you know, how do you soften your approach? to land more effectively in a way that that employee will really be able to hear and what are the dynamics that they might be experiencing when you're showing up in this way, how might that be influencing their day-to-day work environment yeah. and how can you adapt your style to it? So and just one example, but yeah.
0: I find that really interesting because what you're, what you're saying there in terms of helping leaders identify the, the leadership identity, right? I think that's, that speaks to right. a lot of, Self awareness, so so building that yeah. self awareness, and then what you're talking about in terms of the flexibility really speaks to that uh, that self management, right? Being able to to understand how you are and then manage some of your tendencies to make it appropriate for the the group or the audience that you're working with. How do you do that from an evidence based approach? How do you help them to build that self awareness and then to engage in self management?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Well, and I should go back to the psychodynamic conversation we were just having uh-huh. because. What I, I mean, when I start work with with a new coaching client, what I really like doing at the outset is understanding, you know, how did you get to where you are right now in your career, mm-hmm. and what factors might have informed how you, who you are right now, and how you got to be that way. So, psychosocial history is really I,
0: important to to understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. Because with all of that additional context, then you can sort of help somebody figure out, you know if you are showing up in X way now, what might be some effective tools to adjust where you're going in the future? So even, you know, even approaches like cognitive behavioral therapy, helping somebody understand, you know, like when I'm in a meeting and I'm finding it really hard to, uh, you know, just sort of give other people space and not be the first voice in a conversation help them build that awareness and then build a little bit of reaction time between, you know, the experience that they're having and maybe the response to whatever's happening yeah. internally. So that's just one way that I kind of think about bridging the gaps. But I find that that, to your point, that self-awareness piece is much easier to kind of grow and develop with all of that social history and the context behind it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's 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 really interesting, especially building in that little buffer of time, right? To yeah, to give you the, yeah. the opportunity to just take a breath and and not uh, not go with your immediate reaction, but really, really assess yeah. your 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 emotional response and make sure it's appropriate, and then sometimes make that adjustment yeah. as necessary.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's not you know it's not cognitive behavioral treatment mm-hmm. per se to address a mental health concern, but it's incorporating some of those tools and techniques to apply in a different kind of context, yes. which I, I think is really interesting. And that's why, you know, having a strong clinical skill set, I found to be just really, I mean, I use those skills every day yeah. in the work that I do. Uh,
0: this is what I think is so interesting about being a psychologist and, and having those skills, because, you know, a lot of the the the, 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 the theories and the the, uh, the things that we use to help treat serious mental health and serious mental health issues can also be applied at, a, at, a, at a, a different scale, right, to everyday behavioral problems that we have, right? I, I think it's just scaling and, and identifying how can you use it in an appropriate way so that you're not providing okay. clinical therapy, but you're also helping to use those tools and skills in the business world.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I think you bring up a really important point around the ethics of applying those kinds of tools and really knowing, you know, as I was as I was tr- transitioning out of clinical work and into coaching work, I really had to spend a lot of time, you know, thinking about what is therapy, mm-hmm. what is coaching, what is consultation, where is the overlap between them yeah. and what makes it distinct. So from an ethical standpoint, you know, if I am providing coaching to someone versus therapy, I will stay out, for example, of diagnostic assessment. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's helpful to have that framework so that I know when to refer a coach or a coaching client elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But I try to really keep those realms to some degree separate. While also acknowledging that we do have this very cool overlap space where we can pull from some of those tools and yeah. techniques from the clinical world. Right.
0: It can it can be inform yeah. your your thinking, right? But you don't necessarily yeah. have to yeah. delve into there. Yeah. Exactly, I think that's that's yeah. a, a really cool approach. Then, and I appreciate that you you were actually able to to sit down and think it through and be very uh, explicit and conscious around what the the steps and the actions that you're taking. Really trying to separate them out and understand the overlap.
1: There's probably more overlap, but I tend to be a little bit more structured in my yeah, thinking. Yeah. So I would imagine others sort of approach it differently. But the, having that sort of, yeah, those boundaries and compartmentalizations just for myself, especially at this phase of my professional growth yeah. has been really And I think really that helpful. can also be
0: helpful. I mean, if you have it, if you have that somewhat formed in your mind, it can be helpful for the client as well, especially if they're yeah. a client that might need a little bit, you know, some, some clinical services and you can be very clear on, Hey, what we're doing is this and not that. And, and I'm going to refer you for that. So. I think that, that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about about some of the fun stuff that you do because I know that you also work in entertainment. So I would love to hear some of the, the some of the stories about some of the work that you've done in the entertainment industry as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have worked, um, I mean, through my life, I've been involved in entertainment to some degree or another, you know, starting my career in theater. So I've worked with a lot of performance professionals Mm -hmm. and really around, you know, things like performance anxiety. How do you, you know, how do you speak in front of large audiences? Mm -hmm. How do you use those performance skills in different kinds of settings? And you know, how do you perform in a way that will keep you as focused as possible? So the majority of my entertainment industry work has been with individual coaching clients who are either transitioning out of entertainment and into industry or into a different line of work, mm-hmm. or who are trying to be better performers in the work that they do. So some of that has been in sports. Mm-hmm work as well you know folks who are um yeah like skiers for examples or people on teams um doing soccer or playing soccer just helping them sort of figure out how do you get into that mindset more effectively to perform at your best
0: yeah I, I think that's that's a that's a great uh way of describing it especially even even in performance theater right how do you get into that mindset to perform at your best and i know there's a yeah. lot of people even even not entertainers but just in general that have that performance anxiety, especially in front of public speaking. How, how, how do you coach them through that? How do you help them get through that?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it, again, is sort of this idea of applying tools and techniques from the clinical world mm-hmm. and help them think about what do you need? What do you, pers- what, what happens to you, first of all, in those settings that's contributing to the anxiety and contributing to, you know, whatever it is that's happening in your head? How are you understanding that? And then, what might be some other ways of approaching that? So, you know, for example, who somebody who finds themselves getting tongue-tied when they're when they're uh, you know in front of a large audience, yeah. for example, or they find themselves kind of losing their train of thought or they're forgetting their lines, for example. Helping them sort of envision what is happening in that space. And I'm closing my eyes because I'm also thinking about <laughs> my experience with it, but. How, how, what is going on in that moment when I lose that line or when I lose that next train of thought for what I would like to say? You know, what are the points that I'd like to make, for example? How, what's happening there that's uh, an issue? And then how might I think about that slightly differently? Or how might I, you know, the common example is like imagining the audience naked and, and taking down the stress level, yeah. which doesn't generally work, but you know, how do I relate to both the material, but also the audience in a different way that I can stay present in myself and engaged. Mm-hmm. So. That might also be mindfulness techniques or, you know, accepting that no performance is ever going to be perfect, but giving yourself, you know, a a primary source of focus can help you stay really grounded as you're trying to navigate all of that anxiety that comes up with it. So yeah, just, I guess, one way of thinking about it.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's, that's really helpful. And I love that you're able to help people, uh, you know, get grounded um, to help them through this. I think that's that's a really great... A really great tool to to help people through a lot of things. Actually, just being grounded, mm-hmm. uh, Anna. We yeah. could we could talk on and on, but I want to be respectful of your time. So how do people get a hold of you if they want to get a hold of you to talk get talk more or or use your services? What's a good way to reach you?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're welcome to reach out to me directly by email. It's Ana, A N N A at gibsondynamics.com, or you can reach out to the website at www.gibsondynamics.com. Um, LinkedIn presence feel free to check me out but yeah I would love to love to chat with anyone who's interested in talking about this stuff more I love I love talking about it so
0: awesome.
1: thank you so much for having me I'm yeah of really course and it.
0: before we go, let you go I always want to take advantage of the experts we have on the show and say you know, what's some free advice or what suggestions or recommendations do you have for people out there especially in this day and age that we're all in right now
1: uh-huh yeah, I'm thinking back to the startup conversation we just had and one one thing that I really encourage all leaders to think about are, you know, it is so much less costly to get the right people in the door mm-hmm. at the outset mm-hmm. and focus your energies and your resources on developing them then bringing someone in the door who isn't the right fit in the first place and having to go through an immensely you know costly and time intensive process to you know hire someone new in and then develop them so especially for startups in particular yeah. Getting getting folks who are able to make the transition across that tipping point in the door right from the outset, I just think is so important. Yeah. So thinking about hiring upfront would be would be my tip, I guess. Yeah, I think that's
0: that's a great tip, right? Thinking about the the personnel yeah. that you're bringing in the door, and thinking about not just what the the current environment, but the future environment, making sure those people can make the adjustment with you as the organization Absolutely. adapts and changes. I think that's that's really yeah. great advice. Anna, thank Thanks. you so much for coming on the show. You're doing such great work talking about. Uh, human human behavior, especially evidence-based human be- principles of human behavior. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing out there. So thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome.
0: And to our listeners, we hope you enjoyed this episode and we hope you'll join us next time.